0: Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Saturday, April 8th, and Sunday, April 9th, 2023. Uh, There are a couple of anniversaries. Uh, There are a few, actually, but I'll just go through a couple of them uh, for time's sake. Uh, April 7th, 1994 uh, is the day uh, on which the Rwanda genocide began. Uh, It was one day after a a plane carrying the presidents of Rwanda and Burundi was shot down uh, possibly by uh, the Tutsi Rwandan pa- patriotic front militia. Possibly by Hutu extremists. Uh, either way, uh, Hutu uh, the Hutu extremists, the genocidaires. Uh, used that shooting down as a an excuse to begin slaughtering Tutsi Rwandans en masse. Uh, the highest estimates of the death toll, of course, put, put it over one million, uh, just one of the most most horrifying atrocities of, of, of contemporary times. Uh, it finally ended uh, in July of 1994 when the RPF uh, under Paul Kagame, who is currently the president of Rwanda, took over the country, seized control. Uh, on April 8th, uh eight sixty eight seventy six, excuse me. This is an the anniversary of a battle, uh, the battle of Der al Aqul, uh which uh, involved uh, the little known Safarid dynasty Uh, which ruled uh, much of what is modern Iran and Afghanistan and parts of uh, modern Pakistan, uh, starting in the mid-1860s through about 900, 901, uh, and then survived as a much smaller state in Sistan, the Sistan region, until the beginning of the 11th century. Uh, They were at their high watermark, obviously, in 876, uh, and they marched on Baghdad, the Abbasid Caliphate, which was... Uh, really had seen better days, nevertheless was able to put together an army uh, and defeat the Safarids and probably save the Caliphate uh, in the process. The Safarids were never quite the same, but the Abbasids uh, managed to continue, although in, uh, again, extremely diminished capacity compared with sort of the the high Caliphate, uh, but nevertheless somewhat important for uh, the course of Middle Eastern history, I would say. Uh, also, okay, on April 9th, 1865, this is, of course, the anniversary of Robert E. Lee's surrender to Ulysses Grant at Appomattox Courthouse, uh, which is generally considered to mark... Uh, The end of the U.S. Civil War, although there were still other Confederate armies in the field, Lee uh, commanded, obviously the 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 biggest one, the most important one, the Army of Northern Virginia, uh, and his surrender is is pretty much uh, where, if you're in high school, let's say your high school textbook uh, will identify this as the end of the U.S. Civil War. By the way, Appomattox, if you're ever in the area. Uh, Northern Virginia, uh, well, kind of, kind of, middle Virginia, I guess. Uh, really interesting place to go, go see. It's uh, very modest, but uh, full of history. Uh, anyway, that's a little advertisement. I'm not getting paid by the by the National Park Service. Uh, sorry, but uh, just thought I'd throw that in there. All right, let's move on to the news. Uh, A group of major oil producing nations, Algeria, Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, Saudi Arabia and the UAE agreed earlier this month to a collective cut of around one million barrels per day in oil production. Their announcement dovetailed with an announcement by fellow OPEC Plus member Russia that it's leaving a previously announced 500,000 barrel per day cut in place through at least the rest of this year geopolitical implications aside, uh, and you can be sure that the U.S. government is not pleased with this decision, uh, there does seem to be some economic rationale at work here. Global pro- global oil prices had drifted below $80 per barrel, which seems to be where the Saudis, uh, kind of the floor for the Saudis these days. There are growing fears of a recession or at least some kind of economic slowdown in the second half of this year that could push demand lo- oil demand lower. Uh, the Saudis want to maintain high prices uh, to finance all of their extravagant infrastructure projects, and not coincidentally, uh, they've taken responsibility for much of this cutback. They're shouldering about half of the load. Uh, they're cutting about 500,000 barrels per day, and the, the rest of the cuts are distributed among the other uh, five nations involved. Uh, In the Middle East, in Syria, at least six civilians on a truffle hunting expedition were killed by an Islamic State landmine in eastern Syria's Deir ez-Zor province on Sunday, according to state media. Uh, The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights put the death toll at nine. Uh, A similar incident also killed at least six truffle hunters on Saturday in Homs province. Uh, Reuters reported earlier this month that the Saudis are planning to invite Syrian President Bashar al-Assad to attend a summit of Arab League leaders in Riyadh in May. I haven't seen anything further on this story, but it aligns with Assad's broader rapprochement with other Arab governments and would stand as something of a climax to that process. Uh, This potential invite can also be viewed within the larger context of the thaw in the Saudi-Iranian relationship, which is going to be something of a mini-theme in today's roundup. Uh, Speaking of which, in Yemen, uh, delegates from Saudi Arabia and Oman turned up in Sana'a on Sunday for negotiations with the Houthi rebels uh, on bringing the war in Yemen to an end. Reuters had a scoop about this visit on Friday, reporting that the talks would focus on achieving, quote, a permanent ceasefire deal, end quote, that the parties are hoping to announce around the Eid al-Fitr holiday, which is April 20th, give or take, uh, along with the lifting of restrictions on air traffic and shipping, as well as the provision of Yemeni central bank funds. Uh, to pay public workers in rebel-controlled areas. Talks would proceed from there to more complex subjects like post-war reconstruction and the formation of a transitional government. There's been no formal announcement of this as far as I can tell, but it appears that the Saudis and Houthis have already agreed, as the Wall Street Journal is reporting, to maintain their de facto ceasefire through at least the end of this year as a prelude to negotiating a permanent cessation, uh, cessation of hostilities. The Saudis released 13 Houthi prisoners in advance of Sunday's meeting and ahead of a much larger prisoner swap that's set to take place next week. This flurry of moves toward peace probably would not be taking place if it weren't for that Saudi-Iranian thaw, a development that it's probably worth reiterating, was enabled by Chinese, not U.S., mediation. In Iraq, it would appear that the Turkish military carried out a drone strike on Friday uh, near the Sulaymaniyah International Airport in northern Iraq, possibly targeting Syrian Democratic Forces Commander Maslum Abdi. Uh, while Turkish officials haven't acknowledged the incident, it has drawn condemnations from both the SDF and the Iraqi government. Uh, I'm not entirely clear what Abdi was doing in Sulaymaniyah, but he was apparently accompanied by personnel from the U.S.-led Anti-Islamic State Task Force, possibly including U.S. personnel. Uh, There's some reason to think, then, that this was a warning shot meant to discourage U.S. collaboration with Abdi, though it is also entirely possible that the Turks were looking to kill Abdi, even if it meant killing U.S. soldiers along with him, which would, of course, be a major provocation. uh, But who knows? Uh, In Israel-Palestine, it would appear that Sunday passed relatively peacefully on uh, the Al-Aqsa compound in East Jerusalem in marked contrast with the violence that surrounded the site for much of the week. Uh, That violence began with a couple of uh, Israeli police raids. On Al Aqsa Mosque on Wednesday to dislodge what Israeli officials described as, quote, hundreds of rioters and mosque desecrators, end quote. Uh, The Israeli government is famous for its deep concern, uh, of course, regarding the sanctity of Al Aqsa. Uh, Those desecrators, alleged desecrators, had allegedly barricaded themselves inside the mosque with stockpiles of rocks and fireworks. Uh, Those raids sparked a barrage of rocket fire out of Gaza to which the Israelis responded as they always do with airstrikes. Thursday and Friday saw more rocket fire from Gaza and from southern Lebanon into Israel, which brought additional Israeli airstrikes in response. Friday also saw two attacks by Palestinian militants, one near the West Bank settlement of Efrat that killed two people and another in Tel Aviv that killed at least one person and left seven others wounded. Israeli forces killed one Palestinian man in the West Bank on Saturday in circumstances that are not entirely clear. Uh, and overnight, a new round of rocket fire, this time from Syria, drew an Israeli artillery barrage in response. Tensions around Al-Aqsa are always high during Ramadan, especially when that observance intersects with the Passover holiday, as it has this year. But tensions are somewhat higher than usual, most likely because of the growing political power of the radical Israeli settler movement and its push to change the tenuous legal status quo governing the site. Ramadan's overnight prayer vigils have taken on the feel of garrisoning the mosque against any attempt to damage it or, as some settler groups have been demanding, to conduct Passover animal sacrifices on its grounds. In Saudi Arabia, picking up on that mini-theme I mentioned above, the Saudis also sent representatives to Iran over the weekend to talk about further normalizing diplomatic ties, with a particular focus on reopening the Saudi embassy in Tehran and its former consulate in the city of Mashhad. This latest development comes a couple of days after Saudi Foreign Minister Prince Faisal bin Farhan al-Saud and Iranian Foreign Minister Hossein Amir Abdullahian met in Beijing to affirm their new Chinese-brokered harmonization. There's still no way to know if this thought is going to progress to a full restoration of diplomatic and commercial relations. But it already appears to be paying dividends in Yemen, and otherwise the process seems to be off to a solid start. It's also caused a good deal of consternation in Washington. The Biden administration reportedly dispatched CIA Director William Burns to Riyadh in recent days to complain, kind of plaintively, that the Saudis are making nice with the Iranian and Syrian governments without clearing anything with the U.S. first. Uh, Apparently, the U.S. government feels blindsided by these developments, which deviate from Washington's purely rhetorical interest in peace by actually advancing the tangible possibility of peace in a region U.S. policy has kept at or on the brink of war pretty much since the end of the Cold War. On to Asia and Afghanistan. Afghan security forces reportedly killed two Islamic State fighters in an operation in Nimroz province on Sunday. The Afghan forces suffered no casualties. Elsewhere, the Afghan government has barred Afghan women from working for the United Nations in Afghanistan. In addition to serving as another blow against women's rights, this may be the death knell for whatever humanitarian assistance Afghanistan is still getting. As many NGOs have already been barred from employing Afghan women and have drastically reduced their presence in the country as a result. Taliban leaders had previously exempted the UN from that ban, but apparently they're not doing that anymore. Uh, Even if the UN is able to continue operating, which is a tall order given the political symbolism at stake and given how difficult it is to distribute aid from a practical sense without employing at least some female staff, this decision is likely to further depress an already heavily depressed international aid funding stream. In Pakistan, the Pakistani Taliban, or TTP, claimed responsibility for a roadside bombing that killed at least two soldiers in Pakistan's Khyber Pakhtunkhwa province on Saturday, though it claimed that the blast actually killed eight soldiers. Uh, The TTP also claimed responsibility for a grenade attack in a different part of the province that killed at least one police officer and wounded two others. In Taiwan, as expected, U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy led a group of Congress members uh, who met with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen in Los Angeles on Wednesday. Also, as expected, the Chinese government has reacted with some hostility to that meeting. Uh, The Chinese military on Saturday began a three-day exercise in the Taiwan Strait and around Taiwan's coasts. That exercise has brought a number of Chinese ships and aircraft into close proximity to Taiwan and has apparently simulated attacks on Taiwan itself but if that's as far as things go and particularly if the drills do indeed end on Monday as scheduled then this response will be pretty subdued compared with the extensive military and economic reaction Beijing had to then speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan back in August In North Korea North Korean military is reporting that the media excuse me that the country's military conducted another test of a quote-unquote, nuclear-capable underwater drone from Tuesday through Friday, sending the vehicle uh, reported 1,000 kilometers of simulated underwater distance, that's the the quote from North Korea media, before detonating a test warhead. Uh, The drone is called the Hyel... Two or a high yield two. I'm sorry, uh, maybe mangling that. And is different in some unspecified way from the high yield one vehicle the North Koreans had tested the previous week. The North Koreans claimed that weapon was able to cause a radioactive tsunami, which is one of these theoretical kinds of uh, events that sounds really terrifying, but that like the long-fabled electromagnetic pulse is probably less worrisome than the possibility of just a garden-variety nuclear strike. In on to Africa in Burkina Faso. At least 44 people were killed in attacks on two villages in northern Burkina Faso's Sahel region uh, that began late Thursday and continued overnight into Friday. Authorities didn't offer any indication as to who was responsible when they announced the death toll on Saturday. That region is overrun by al-Qaeda and Islamic State-affiliated jihadists. In Nigeria, Nigerian authorities said on Saturday that they've confirmed at least 74 people killed in two attacks in Benue State this week. The larger of the two incidents took place on Wednesday and is believed to have involved an attack on by herdsmen on a village in which 46 people were killed or at least 46 people were killed. The second incident took place late Friday in a displaced persons camp and left at least 28 people dead. That second incident may also have been a case of herder violence, though at this point it doesn't sound like officials have a good handle on what actually happened. Uh, Benue is one of several Nigerian states plagued by intercommunal violence between farming and herding communities that compete for increasingly scarce resources. Elsewhere, unspecified gunmen reportedly abducted more than 80 people from a village in Nigeria's Zamfara state on Friday. Much of northwestern Nigeria, including Zamfara, has been plagued by bandit gangs that frequently engage in kidnapping for ransom many of the abductees in this case appear to have been teenagers from neighboring villages who were doing seasonal farm labor in chad the chadian government on friday expelled germany's ambassador gordon kricka uh, from the country he had apparently criticized the junta's alleged political transition uh, who who's to say uh, probably they it's it's all above board who knows Uh, In Ethiopia, thousands of people in the Amhara region protested on Sunday against an order from the Ethiopian government that will bring regional special forces across the country under a federal government command structure. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed issued that order on Thursday, and so far the hostile reception seems to be confined to Amhara regular readers will be aware that Amhara regional forces are currently occupying disputed territory that is still technically considered part of the Tigray region after fighting alongside federal forces and the Eritrean military in the 2020 to 2022 war against the Tigray People's Liberation Front there's some sentiment in Amhara there appears to be at least that Abiy's government gave Amhara the region the proverbial shaft in the peace process that ended that conflict and this that sentiment is contributing to fears that putting regional forces under his control, his federal control, will leave the Amhara region defenseless. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, suspected Allied Democratic Forces fighters killed at least 22 residents of the Oicha Commune in the eastern DRC's North Kivu province in an attack that began late Friday. Earlier in the week, ADF fighters killed more than 30 civilians across several attacks in neighboring Ituri province. On to Europe and Estonia, where Prime Minister Kaja Kallas announced on Saturday that her reform party has cut a new coalition deal with the Estonia 200 and Social Democratic parties that will leave her with a comfortable 60 seat majority in the 101 seat Estonian parliament. Kallas emerged as the big winner of last month's election, with reform emerging with a net gain of three seats. Uh, it had previously controlled 34, it emerged with 37. And therefore, she was in the driver's seat in terms of coalition talks. In Ukraine, there's not much new to report here. The main focus of the fighting continues to be the eastern city of Bakhmut. Russian forces are in control of the city center, but still haven't pushed the city's Ukrainian defenders all the way out of town. Neither have they been able to fully encircle the city. Russian forces also reportedly bombarded Ukraine's Kharkiv, Kherson, and Zaporizhia Oblast over the weekend, killing at least seven people. There were calls for an Easter ceasefire that went unheeded, possibly because it's not Easter yet in either Ukraine or Russia. Check back next weekend. In Montenegro, incumbent Milo Djukanovic's victory in the first round of Montenegro's presidential election last month translated into a fairly overwhelming defeat to former econo- economy minister Yakov Milatovich in the runoff last Sunday. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Jakanovich wasn't able to do much better than the 35% he won in the first round, taking a bit over 41% to Miladovic's nearly 59% in the final tally. Jakanovich has been perhaps the central figure in Montenegrin politics since the early 1990s, but has lost considerable popularity in recent years due in part to a wave of corruption allegations. It is, of course, too soon to say whether he still has a political future. In Finland, meanwhile, the Conservative National Coalition Party won last Sunday's parliamentary election, unseating incumbent Prime Minister Sanna Marin's Social Democratic Party and putting NCP boss Petteri Orpo – sorry if I'm mangling these names – in line for her job. However, it's unclear where Orpo is going to turn for coalition partners, which he'll presumably need since NCP only emerged with 48 seats, 53 shy of a parliamentary majority. He'll at least need support for a minority government, but uh, I'm sure he would rather – Form a majority coalition. The far-right Finns party, which took 46 seats, is one possibility, but there's a risk that no other parties would be willing to participate in a coalition that includes the Finns. SDP is another option, but the two parties could struggle to find common ground. One thing Orpo will not have to worry about is Finland's NATO accession. That's because Finland became a NATO member on April 4th, uh, becoming the alliance's 31st member. So they've got that going for them, which is nice. Uh, Finland's entry roughly doubles the NATO-Russia border, which should make for some fun times ahead. It also adds a military that's largely been built for the purpose of repelling a potential Russian invasion. On to the Americas. In Brazil, official government data shows that the rate of Amazon deforestation rose by 14% last month as compared with March 2022, despite efforts by President Luiz Inacio Lula da Silva to protect the rainforest. Deforestation is still down 11% overall compared with the first three months of 2022, but it's up 39% for the period from last August through this March. The Brazilian government's year, I I mentioned August because the Brazilian government's year with respect to tracking deforestation data actually runs from August through July. The Brazilian government is still rebuilding, of course, its capacity to track and prevent deforestation after the Bolsonaro administration largely decimated it. In Haiti, the Timakat gang reportedly killed three Haitian police officers on Sunday in an attack in the Thomasine region just south of Port-au-Prince. This makes at least 21 police officers killed by Haitian gangs so far this year, a figure that is helping to fuel calls for an international anti-gang intervention. The UN has estimated that gang violence has claimed more than 530 lives in Haiti so far this year. And in the United States, finally, uh, a tranche of Classified U.S. documents has turned up on social media in recent days, prompting concerns with respect to the war in Ukraine and making for some uncomfortable revelations about a number of U.S. allies. Here's a bit from the New York Times report on the leak. A new batch of classified documents that appeared to detail American national security secrets from Ukraine to the Middle East to China surfaced on social media sites on Friday, alarming the Pentagon and adding turmoil to a situation that seemed to have caught the Biden administration off guard. The scale of the leak, analysts say more than 100 documents may have been obtained, along with the sensitivity of the documents themselves, could be hugely damaging, U.S. officials said. A senior intelligence official called the leak, quote, a nightmare for the Five Eyes, end quote, in a reference to the United States, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, the so-called Five Eyes nations that broadly share intelligence. The latest documents were found on Twitter and other sites on Friday, a day after senior Biden administration officials said they were investigating a potential leak of classified Ukrainian war plans, including an alarming assessment of Ukraine's faltering air defense capabilities. One slide dated February 23rd is labeled secret slash no foreign, meaning it was not to be shared. With foreign countries, the Justice Department said it had opened an investigation into the leaks and was in communication with the Defense Department, but declined to comment further. This uh, there's no more space really in tonight's update. Literally, there's no more space. If I tried to to write much more, the the uh, Substack would tell me the email was too long or the, the newsletter was too long for email. So uh, we may get into more detail about some of these particular some particular leaks. In the coming days. But I will say that what seems to be particularly troubling to the folks in Washington are these leaks suggesting that Ukraine is essentially running out of ammunition, especially for its air defenses. And leaks that include U.S. assessments of Russian military losses. The latter is problematic because it may reveal the places in the Russian military and government where U.S. intelligence has penetrated, which could give the Russians some insight into closing off those potential uh, uh, cracks in their, their system. The leaks also – and I again, we'll get in, maybe get into this later this week – but the leaks also show evidence that the U.S. has been doing a little bit of spongebob on some of its closest allies. Oopsie. Uh, Which, needless to say, is a bit awkward. Uh, And again, uh, we may have uh, reason to talk about some of that in the coming days. Uh, But for now, I will say uh, this has been uh, already long enough, as these always are when I come back from an extended break. Uh, Thanks for sticking with Foreign Exchanges while I've been gone. uh, I am somewhat rested, I guess, uh, ready to get back to work. Uh, So again, thank you for reading and or listening to the newsletter. And thanks to those of you who are Foreign Exchanges subscribers, especially if you are a paid Foreign Exchanges subscriber. Uh, You are making it possible for me to continue doing this work. And with that, until next time, take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.